Good evening and thanks for joining us on Editing Aloud. In a week in which Minister Ibrahim Patel's fashion regulations have caused both horror and hilarity. And Genevieve Quintal, I want to come to you first and ask you, do you wear bottoms when worn with boots? And what on earth, cropped bottoms I think it was, what on earth does that mean? Well, Hilary, I myself had to go Google what cropped bottoms are. It seemed to be three-quarter pants, but I heard from someone else it's actually short shorts. So I'm actually not even sure what that means. Um, yeah, it was a, a list that just was gazetted last night with these items of clothing. Um, strange, strange things like a short sleeve T-shirt that can only be bought if it's going to be worn under a jacket or knitwear. A or a short sleeve or long sleeve. Opinion. Yes. Yes. Or a short sleeve, long sleeve shirt that is going to be used as um, to give you warmth. So almost like a vest. Just very weird. And even down to even the detail of what type of shoe you can buy. An open toe shoot or a closed toe shoot. I find it quite bizarre. I, I just don't understand why we can't say you can buy clothes. Someone said yesterday... Um, Surely the market would sort itself out. It's winter. I'm not going out looking for a bathing suit. If I, it's winter, I want a long sleeve top. I probably want a jersey or two. So I don't understand this nitpicking of, of exact items you are allowed to buy. Especially you can go to Portugal on your annual holidays. This kind of very granular level of, of sort of bureaucratic detail, is does that highlight for us a bit of a deeper concern about the level four lockdown and the degree of regulation bureaucracy complexity um is 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 the is the fashion kind of are the fashion regulations just funny or you know are they a real thing a real issue i must say like i mean like a like a like a, like a Genevieve will be my witness here. I think like as a team, we had the strangest, strangest discussions last night when we were trying to work out what the crop bottoms are. I mean, you know, in the midst of a pandemic and the US, there were all your journalists or in various homes, obviously, since we social distancing. I never imagined we were sitting there spending all of my time trying to work out what the crop bottom is. And we came up with about four different versions and we still don't know about 14 hours later. So that shows you how ridiculous the situation is. And I mean, as you said, like, it, it, it does speak to something a bit deeper. And first, maybe the ministers need for control, but also not, and also like, then combined with the lack of understanding really how markets and how the economy works. Like Genevieve was saying earlier, I mean, this time of the year, like the market itself will regulate what people need to wear. I mean, if you are going to have any kind of restrictions, we're sure it make more sense to say everybody can go shopping, but you can't buy these five things rather than listing a hundred things that you can buy. It just doesn't make any logical sense. Rob Rose, it, it, do, do these things concern you? I mean, I'm, I know they're providing us all with enormous entertainment. And, and of course, the department was quick to point out this morning that the clothing and textile industry had, in fact, asked for these regulations. So Minister Patel is not entirely as at fault. But I mean, do they concern you, you know, amusing as they may be? I mean, Hillary, you're right. The level of class is ridiculous. But I do think that the, the wider issue is the paternalism and the sense that the government has taken this role in mandating every single part of our lives. And, it, and it, rather than letting go now, 
as we step down the lockdown levels, it's actually getting worse. Um, so you have you have a sense that government is now detailing. I mean, I don't know yet if I'm allowed to wear blue tops or red tops, but I'm sure that's in the regulation somewhere. Um, but it's, it's I mean, it, it speaks to the fact that they don't trust the citizens in the country to live their own lives and look after themselves responsibly. And I think that's the wider issue. Genevieve, there's a growing number of voices raised calling for either the lockdown to be limited, removed altogether or to move down the levels much faster. Should we be not worrying more about the health risks instead of shouting for the thing to be ended? Because we're not even close to the peak. Hmm. Of course, the health risks should be focused on more. And that's why what I couldn't understand with a list of clothes, how buying certain things and not buying certain things will lead to the spread of COVID-19. The fact is you're in the shop. Um, but besides that, and, and, and whether we should be going down the lockdown, um, the president did have a cabinet meeting yesterday and is in the process this afternoon of meeting the National Coronavirus Command Council. Um, what they are doing is they're getting a report from Zueli and Keys um, on the progress of testing and tracing, on um, case management, etc. And apparently they'll be also getting a report on the implementation of the risk adjustment strategy which is now our levels five to one. So not quite sure yet if we're going to move to level three in the next few days or the next week. Um, the weekend's William Keys was in the Western Cape and, you know, Saul Ramaphosa did tell us when they first um, announced the, the levels that it might not be a blanket level for the whole country. So we know Western Cape is, has got the highest numbers. They've got more than 50% of the cases. It's quite possible that they could move Cape Town to level back to level five and say, leave Joe Big on level four, take us to level three. But then there's this argument about opening up the economy. Um, to open up the economy, you have to open up our big centers, Joburg, Cape Town, etc. So I think they have to weigh all those up before making a decision on, on who goes down, who goes up. But I think we have to remember that it's quite likely that we're not going to have a blanket move um, on the levels. Look, Kanye, what would you like to see? I mean, where do you fit into the sort of debate about levels of lockdown? How fast should we be going? Should we even have the levels? No, like, like as Genevieve made make a point that the, I think what the government has done is actually they failed in a lot of the communications around it in terms of the lockdown, what the lockdown was trying to achieve and whether it's, it has succeeded or not. No, remember initially it was we, we needed to do this in order to flatten our curve in order to allow the, 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 the health system to, to cope for when numbers did eventually go up. Now the message seems to have turned a bit to, to, to as if the, the, the point of the lockdown is to stop you know, infections or even to cut them. But we know that's not going to happen. We know we're like at the beginning of this phase. And the president has already said that we can have to live with this for a year or even longer. I mean, so in, in the, within that context, then it's not really realistic to think we're going to keep the economy completely closed for like a year and a half. And I don't think anybody expects that. And, and that was never the intention to start with. So the messaging has got a bit lost along the way. And I think, I mean, like in, in terms of that, sometimes the, 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 the economy health debate has ended up being a bit too binary. You know, the people are saying, you know, if you want to open up the economy, then you want you, know, you want people to die. <laughs> you know, but I don't think it actually works that way. I mean, the, the health specialists now are questioning the health benefits of the lockdown. Can I ask you, Rob, do you think, as Lucanio suggests, that it's a communication problem or it's a design problem of, of the levels of lockdown? We're not hearing you, Rob. 
Sorry. <laughs> um, it's both. It's definitely a design problem and a, and a communications issue. They haven't shared the models um, of, of the disease and the impact on the economy at all. And this is what's really crippling them. In this vacuum, people are speculating. And as Lacanio says, it's become this binary view. Um, Northern CEO Paul Dunn wrote in, in our magazine this week that, you know, it's not just lives versus the economy, it's lives versus lives. You're costing lives out of the way. But, but the way in which we think about it and the way in which opinions have galvanized so hard on either side um, and the level of aggression between the two groups is, is really quite startling. It's, um, I think we've, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a social fracture. We've always been quite a fractured society, but this issue is, is tearing, tearing people apart. Rob, isn't that in itself an issue for the lockdown? If, I mean, if the social consensus around it really breaks, uh, we will have quite a lot of difficulty even getting people to test and to buy into the health restrictions, will we not? I mean, are you concerned that there's a, a real sort of fracturing of the, of the social consensus, which, which is one of the things that businesses actually uh, pointed to? For sure. I mean, this is, this is the big issue is that, you know, you, you are taking away a lot of things from people, the ability to move. And that's fine if you think you're doing a job for the society. But when you have ridiculous rules on what color underwear you should wear, um, I think that you start questioning its utility of it. And it just looks like um, ridiculous rules for rules sake. And I think that, you know, I think the government needs to realize on this national command council, which is a ridiculous structure. I mean, it's essentially just cabinet in another guise. I think they need to realize that they, they rule by social license. Uh, we elected them, the society elects them. And I think that they're there because, because society lets them do this. And to start imposing ridiculous rules, I think it detracts from the success of the initial lockdown. And I think the story has become that at the moment, rather than what we've done, the 4 million people who aren't infected because of the lockdown. So we've lost our way on, on the messaging and everything, really. Gosh, is it, that, is it that high? I hadn't seen that calculation. 4 million who've avoided infection, at least for now, thanks to the lockdown. That's a powerful figure. I mean, why isn't it being highlighted if, if it is the case? Well, they did say that. I mean, that, I mean it, has, it has been out there that the actual number has dropped potentially from 12 million infections to 8 million. You know, the issue is how many people then get sick from that and how many deaths you have as a result. And those numbers start drilling down further. Um, but that is, that is what some of the estimates say has been the result of the lockdown. But as, you know, um, Salim Karim said, you know, now we've reached a point where the lockdown has done all it can and we need to reconsider how we move forward. Genevieve, how likely is it that we go to level three in the near future? I know the president has suggested it. I mean, are people really expecting that it's going to be soon? Level three? I think it is a possibility. But again, like I said, it might not be a blanket level three for the whole country. We've, we've been told over and over again. So it's difficult, to say, it's difficult to say that it's going to be everyone who's going. But there are going to have to be areas that... that are going to go down to level three. And I think some people have to remember that some people are going to either stay on level four or go up. What Rob was talking about, I think what's more important here than, than lockdown or regulations is, is people's change in behavior. And unfortunately, because people are now getting so irritated with these, what is seen as census regulations and being told what clothes you can wear and can't wear or buy or can't buy, is that you need people to change their behavior. And that you need buy-in from. As the levels, as the lockdown moves or the levels move, even if we go to low level, you still need people's behavior to change. 
we're going to be living with this, as the president said, as so many scientists have said, for a year or two. And so you need to trust people to be adults enough to change their behavior. My sense of it is that as the infection rate climbs, we're going to be, we're going to be taking precautions, I would hope, not because we're told to, but because we're too scared not to. Um, and unfortunately, that's the way these things often play out. But Rob Rose, your financial mail cover story this week on Minister Mantashe and the mining industry. Um, but could you reflect a little bit on the different ministers in, in the mix and who's where, who matters, who doesn't matter, who's calling the shots on the reopening the economy, who's not? Uh, just tell us a bit about your cover and about the sort of broader political issues here. Well, Matash is important for a couple of reasons. I mean, obviously, he's he runs the mining portfolio, which is pretty important, um, obviously, just directly for the industry itself. Um, but he's also part of the ANC top six. So his, his view is important um, in terms of, you know, how much political clout Ramaphosa has to move the way he wants to or to what extent he is leaned upon by others in the top, in the, in the ANC-NEC even. And, for example, of course, Zana Lamini Zuma and Ibrahim Patel, who seem to have assumed quite a prominent role in this. Um, and there's also, you know, economics is a very important part of this. So Tito Mboweni, for example, said to Parliament that he had he himself had lobbied for cigarettes to be unbanned and for alcohol to be allowed and had been overruled. Um, so there is a sense that that there are people who are more equal than others in the, in the NEC structure who are determining this. The problem, Hilary, I think, is that we don't really have insight into the models they're using and what, what the basis is for some of the decisions they make, which goes back to your point earlier about communication. If we knew on what basis they were taking these decisions, then I think it would be a lot clearer as to why these are happening. Instead, we don't have that. So, so personalities are getting drawn into it. And there's been some fierce attacks on Ibrahim Patel and of course, Zanad Lumini Zuma, but that's partly because, because we haven't had clarity on why decisions are being taken. I mean, in a sense, one of the things that people have noted, Rob, is that Sora Poza has been quite absent for the past couple of weeks, except for sort of some showpiece appearances. Uh, we haven't had an announcement, and I know in some quarters that's caused a bit of concern. Who's leading this thing? Is it just who shouts the loudest? Is there a political rationale to this? W would you be concerned? Should the, how often should the president be out there talking? Well, I think that he might think he has nothing to say, but I think he underestimates the impact of the, you know, of how reassuring it is to, to see Ramaphosa speaking about this issue and showing leadership. And he's done very well whenever he's appeared on TV in this, in this scenario. So I think that that's something he should, not just because he might not have anything new to say other than two weeks ago, I think just for the, the calming impact it has on society to know that somebody is in control of this. And, you know, it's not just a bunch of guys checking your underwear color. Genevieve, how the, what is your sense of the politics within the cabinet and who's calling the shots and what the contestations are? Yeah, Hilary, I don't, I don't think it's a case of, of calling the, who's calling the shots to an extent. The thing is, and if you look at the way Sora Ramaphosa operates, he's pretty much a man of consensus. The ANC also, you know, they like to give us a sort of, yeah, but it was a consensus or this is what majority wanted. So I think the problem is, is that a lot of these decisions are taken, whether right or wrong, on majority. So if you have, let's, let's take the controversial cigarette issue. If you have eight doctors on your, on your cabinet, let's say, and, we, and there are a number of medical doctors on the cabinet, and they're all anti-anti-smoking, 
and say there's another 10 people on the cabinet who also are not smokers, hate it, you know, people have different views. And as, as it was pointed out, and you shout the loudest, so on consensus, if majority is saying, well, we don't like smoking and, we, and it's unhealthy and you shouldn't smoke, we're going with the, with the majority. So instead of deciding based on, on clear research why something should or shouldn't be done, it seems to be done on this, well, if the majority says yes, then we do. If the majority says no, then we don't do. But I don't think in this kind of situation is the way we should be making decisions. And surely there are times where the president can say, I get what majority of you are saying. I, I get your concerns, but based on, say, interactions I've had, meetings I've had on experts, I'm going to overrule, and I think this is the way we need to do it. And we need to explain to the public that we're doing it because of X, Y, and Z, and we are not getting that. I must say, I'm, I'm on... a bit puzzled myself because you're getting, I know that business and government um, are meeting on a daily basis and they need NEDLAC meetings every day and the whole cons broader consultation process is, is really enormous um, and a lot of work has been done by a lot of people gathering evidence, doing modelling and so on and I do sometimes wonder if, if, if government is being guided you know, in that evidence-based sort of way as you suggest rather than you know, by the sort of political... Um, juggling, if you like, with, within cabinet. Rob, Rob what, what's your sense of it? And I also wanted to, I mean, what, what is your sense of, of whether there's sort of evidence-based policy making or simply, you know, the usual political jesting and jousting? Um, from my side, I mean, I do think that there, that there is evidence that these rules are being based on. Um, but the point is, it's not it's not good enough that just this this murky, opaque National Command Council has that evidence. It needs to share the evidence. It needs to say, you know, smoking does this in this pandemic, and that's why we're not having it. And then people can debate that and say, well, I don't think that's a valid reason because actually, smoking has always been bad for you. But we we treat people like adults and say to them, well, it's up to you if you kill yourself. Um, you can't just turn into an anti state for this particular moment. Rob, I wanted to ask you about a particular minister who we haven't talked about, which is uh, Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon, who has, against all the odds, been um, creating a new airline in, in a month or a week in which Comair very, very swiftly put itself into business rescue. Um, now, Rob, I think you've been talking to, to the former chief executive of, of Comair, Eric Fenter, who has said, they didn't need to go into business rescue. Some people I've spoken to say it's really a clever thing to do to go into business rescue if you don't think you're going to fly again anytime between now and October. I mean, what is your sense of Come and what they've done? Is this clever or really silly? And what sort of lesson, what does it tell us about our government and particularly Praveen's notions about what's going to happen with SAA? Well, I do think that Pravin Gordon um, is being is being led by the politics on this one rather than the economics. Um, and the, the point is that politics has led us down the way on SAA and state-owned assets for more than a decade, and it's led us to a very bad place economically. So at the moment, we, you know, Warren Buffett sold all his airline stocks a couple of weeks ago and said, don't touch airlines, the future's going to change. You can't have an airline where you have you know, 30% load factors flying across the world anymore. So the dynamics and the economics have changed. We couldn't afford SAA before this hit. 
I don't see how we can afford to launch a new airline right now, especially with the baggage of SA. It just seems economically nonsensical. Um, but it does seem like it's a bit of a political negotiation with the unions and various parties in this. Um, so whether it passes the economic test of sense, I would imagine not, but politically it might have, might fulfill other goals. As they say, uh, Genevieve, I'm thinking politically the relief efforts that have been put in place or at least announced uh, to try and cushion households in particular, but also businesses from the impact, the really catastrophic impact of the COVID crisis. How can it possibly be politically a good idea for the social, for SASA to have kind of failed to pay grants, for SASA to be really struggling to implement this extra 350 rand a month grant, which has been announced, um, for the UIF to have been quite slow about paying the, the thing. I mean, Genevieve, what is going on there and why? I mean, I mean is, is the relief reaching people? Is it not reaching people? Well, Hilary, in terms of the, the 350 Rand temporary relief grant, um, the applications opened on Monday. It's all online application. It's WhatsApp. It's either through an email or um, online on the internet. Um, and from what, from what I had heard from before, when they did a test run of, of the system, it, it actually crashed, and this was according to the Black Sash, it actually crashed when they got a few applications in. So what's happening now, so, so the system opened, we haven't really had an update, but I was watching SASA's social media page, um, especially yesterday and a bit this morning, and people are complaining that the WhatsApp doesn't work. We got a demonstration on Monday from um, SASA, a technical de demonstration of how it works. You're supposed to be able to say hi on a certain number, and then it sends you, it, it comes up with like a list of what do you want to do, what do you want to apply for, etc. And people haven't been able to do that. And Sasa is their response when people are saying, "But the WhatsApp's not working," is that they the system could be slow because it's just over a lot of people are are applying. So now the big issue is, is whether how long are these applications going to take? It's supposed to be for six months. You're supposed to be getting if you if you need the relief money, you're supposed to be unemployed not getting another social grant. I um, just want to add that you can't have the special relief if you're getting a social grant or UIF money already. But the fact that it's taking long for these applications to even be processed, because you have to be vetted and you're going to be vetted against every other government database, you might only land up maybe being... Um, we'll basically reach the end of the crisis, we hope, but people may never have got their money. And Genevieve, we're just going to hold thumbs that it has improved by next week because that is... All we have time for for now, please join us again next week for another edition of Editing Aloud.